Wait a minute. If you've got your Bible, I want to invite you to open to the book of Hosea. Uh, I was gone a week, so now we're on page 752 in my Bible. If that helps you, past Ezekiel and Daniel, you'll find Hosea. It's in there. And we're going to be in chapter 3 today, a very short chapter, only five verses, and it's all about sort of redemption. That's what today is about, God's faithfulness in redeeming uh, his people, Hosea redeeming Gomer. And, you know, we all love a redemption story. Uh, if you get the weekly newsletter, which you should if you sign up online, uh, you'll see that this week I talked about redemption stories like Tiger Woods. Uh, Lindsay Jacobellis, who, unless you're into Olympics, Winter Olympics, you may not know who she is, a snowboarder. Uh, people like Tim Allen, uh, others, even, you know, wonderful Martha Stewart, uh, Justin Bieber, uh, you know, the Biebs himself. Uh, and, and so we, we love it. Whether we like people or not, we, there's something about redemption that we love to talk about, where we see someone who kind of hits rock bottom, uh, often by their own doing, but somehow, someway, with the help of others, uh, a religious experience, uh, an encounter with Christ, uh, or someone, they finally say, you know, hey, let us get you out of this. They come back. Well, Tim Allen, uh, Tim the Toolman Taylor, uh, he is one of those. Uh, you may not know, but in 1978, he was 23 years old, and he got arrested in the Kalamazoo airport because he had in his possession one pound of cocaine in his luggage. One pound of cocaine. That's a lot. And so he uh, got to spend two years, more than two years, in prison. Uh, if you Google him, you can see his mugshot. Um, it kind of has surfaced on the web, but but now, uh, he's 23 plus years, uh, now 24 years uh, sober, and uh, is obviously, you know, he's Buzz Lightyear. So, what, what, what else could he accomplish? Uh, of course, home improvement, uh, if you're a dad uh, and you have Hulu, or you didn't see the series when it came out, Last Man Standing is a great dad sitcom, especially if you're a Gen X or a boomer, uh, you'll identify with it. Uh, so just encourage you, teenagers, please don't bother. Um, you won't anyway, but let me tell you, don't, don't watch it. But, but it was interesting, uh, uh, Tim Allen was in an interview last year and he talked about his time uh, during that era, his teenage years and his young adult years. And when he got arrested, he said, I, I finally learned how to shut up and do what I was told for the first time in my life. He goes, I knew how to play the game. And for those of us that are my age and older, I knew, and this is what he says, I was the Eddie Haskell. I, I was the one who could say everything right in front of the right people and then just be a criminal, literally, uh, behind everyone's back. And that finally caught up to me. And so it was the first time in prison I did whatever I was told. I, I learned literally how to live day by day. I learned how to shut up. And oh, by the way, in prison, you want to learn how to shut up. <laughs> but now that he's 20 plus years sober, he's had this great career in comedy, TV, movies. It's a great story of how someone turned their life around in a moment. And we like those stories. We like to see when people 
sort of regain who they're supposed to be. And he said one of the reasons he survived in prison and he stayed safe in prison was actually telling jokes to other prisoners. So he, he honed his comedy routine while he was in prison so he didn't get beat up or worse. And, and so that's where he kind of cut his teeth on prisoners. Uh, that's a tough audience, so uh, I'm sure he did well. But today as we look at this little short chapter in Hosea, that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at what it means to be redeemed. We're going to look at redemption and, and, and how God relentlessly pursues redemption for you and me. And so if you're there in Hosea 3, uh, read along with me. And the Lord said to me, that's to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her. So I bought her. That's Hosea talking. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a letic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be for you, to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. I've said it in different ways over the last few weeks. Uh, I want to remind you uh, that God uh, loves us. He loves you. And, and he is faithful to you. And he will love you faithfully no matter how faithful or unfaithful you are. God loves us faithfully no matter how unfaithful or faithful we are to him. And the book of Hosea is a picture of that. And this chapter, this scene, brings it all together. That's why it's called the greatest chapter in the Old Testament. Because it's about a very practical way that God demonstrates his love for his people, the nation of Israel. And the metaphor of Hosea and Gomer and how God redeems all people. And so in this love story of Hosea and Gomer, this faithful, loving husband to an unfaithful wife, God comes to him and says, hey, I need you to love your wife again. I know you've demonstrated it over and over and over again, and she has rejected it and rejected it and rejected it, but I need you to do it again. I need you to keep loving her. Go again. Stay with her. Don't stop. Keep after it. Because 
God is telling Hosea to do the very thing that he is doing for the nation of Israel. He's loving them, pursuing them, going after them, even though they've turned to these other gods, even though they've turned their back on him and they've pursued their own desires. They've pursued these false gods. Keep going. And it's what he does for you and me. He continually pursues us, loves us faithfully in the midst of our pride and our envy, in the midst of our lying and self-promotion, in our sexual sin, in our dark corner sin. He loves us even in the middle of that. Or if you don't think your sin is that bad, maybe you've got a little lighter sin. Not so bad sin, like not being gracious and kind when you should be. Maybe you act one way this morning in a very different way this afternoon or tomorrow morning. That's not just a bad sin. Surely God's okay with that. Maybe you're encouraging and complimentary to people when you're having a face-to-face conversation with them then the next conversation isn't so much that. Maybe you're lazy or you have a rebellious attitude, but no one knows about it. Maybe for the older crowd in the room, you're like Eddie Haskell. And you can say all the right things in the right moment and then just do whatever you want. Or if you're younger, you're like Zach and Cody from the Disney Channel. Or all the kids that Jesse had to babysit in that show. Where they say the right things and then they live how they want. And so God is calling Hosea to love his wife despite her rebellion in the same way that God loves us despite our rebellion. And so the scene here is Hosea, go after your wife. Let's put that in modern context. It would be like us living here in this general southeast Houston area and you going into Houston and driving up and down the street corners looking for your spouse. That's the equivalent. Because that's where they're hanging out. That's where they're having fun. And so go after your wife who is a prostitute, who is pursuing other gods. And most scholars think that perhaps Gomer had even given herself to be a temple prostitute in these temples of Baal. What a crazy statement this is for God to say, go love this woman who is an adulteress who is a prostitute, go, go after her. Just like I've gone after the nation of Israel when they've turned to other gods. Because they've been fooled by a cheap imitation. That's what sin is. Sin is a, a cheap imitation of, of what should be good and right. It's a cheap imitation and perversion of, of who God really is and what he's all about. We lo- know that even all the way back to the book of Genesis. Like it's, the story hasn't changed. It's like the child in the toy store who wants that cheap knockoff slinky. 
You've been there. I've been there three times because I have three kids. Three times. Like it's, it's the one you know it's going to make it one time and never work again. And, and, and they cannot get their mind off of this thing. And they have a house full of toys and wonders. And they want this $5.99 worth nine cent item. They're trading. That's what's happening here. In and that's what we do when we sin. We forsake the good gift for the temporary, for the not so good. It's the Gomer who, who doesn't think her husband is good enough and so she's gonna trade him for a bunch of other guys. In our context, it's, well, I need to upgrade to my spouse because he or she is not interesting. They don't make enough money. They're not good looking enough. They don't care for me enough. It's always not enough. And so they're distracted by the sin. And so my encouragement to all of us is don't be fooled by the raisin cakes because that's what they were fooled by. Look, look at the passage. They turned to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I had a cinnamon raisin bagel this morning for breakfast on purpose because of this message. <laughs> I actually bought them this week. I went this week to the store when I got back from vacation and bought cinnamon raisin bagels. One thing, I love them, uh, but it would be appropriate for today. Like so many things in this world try to distract us and it's things of lesser. And that's what God is, is trying to get Gomer to realize, to recognize that, that the love, quote unquote, from all these other men and these gods doesn't, it, it pales in comparison to the true love of your husband, the true love of your heavenly father. But how easy it is for us to get fooled by the same raisin cakes. In the first service, I said rice cakes, which is even worse. It's like eating air. You might as well just chew like that. It's just as healthy and filling, just as filling. But here she is, and the whole nation of Israel going after these other gods, enjoying their raisin cakes because it makes them feel good. And that's what our culture tells us to do. That's what the world tells us. That's what we sometimes tell ourselves. Well, I want to feel good. Cheryl Crow, the singer, she even wrote a song about it. If it makes you feel good, it can't be that bad. But the next line is, then why in the blank do you feel so sad? It's a biblical word, but I'll save it for you. <laughs> and, and so, like, it, feeling good is not always the right answer. Because the truth is, sin does sometimes give you a rush. It may feel good. It may even trick you into thinking you have a newfound power, a newfound confidence. Maybe even helps you escape the chaos that is your world. Because maybe your world is horrible. The challenge, and it's the challenge that Hosea and Gomer face, is that sin always leads to a reckoning. There's always a reckoning when it comes to sin. 
Tim Allen's reckoning was two years in jail. That was his reckoning. Sometimes the reckoning is a financial reckoning when it comes to sin. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's an emotional reckoning. Sometimes it's a relational reckoning. Sometimes it's a spiritual, every time, it's a spiritual reckoning. And in this moment where Hosea is going after his wife, in the midst of her prostitution, he's showing Israel what God's love is like. And there's a reckoning coming. A reckoning for Gomer. A reckoning for Hosea. A reckoning for the nation of Israel. And there's a reckoning for us. Because that reckoning is the cost of redeeming sin. The reckoning in our story here is the cost of redeeming the sin. Hosea brings 15 shekels of silver and this homer and aletic of barley, which I'm sure all of you are really aware of. You know exactly what that is. I don't either. But I know that it's worth 15 shekels of silver. That's what a homer and aletic of barley, so now you can impress all your friends, that it's worth 15 shekels of silver. So Hosea has 15 shekels of silver and his barley, which makes 30 shekels of silver in value. That may ring a bell from the New Testament about Judas, but it's also the cost to redeem, to buy a slave. 30 shekels of silver is the cost to buy a slave, to redeem a slave. And so Hosea probably didn't have the money to go redeem his wife. He didn't have the cash. He didn't have the savings built up. So he took what money he had, probably every bit of silver he had, and then he harvested some of his barley, his grain, and he takes that, costing him not just his savings, but also his future profit so that he could go and demonstrate unfathomable love to a cheater. And he carry Underwood fans, he didn't mess up her truck. No, he bought her with everything he had to redeem her. Let me remind you that redemption comes at a high cost, a steep price for redemption. It's never cheap. And for Hosea, it cost him all that he had. But in an even greater way to redeem your sin and my sin, it didn't take gold or silver. It took the life of God's only son, Jesus. The steep price of our redemption was the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. The death of the only perfect human so that he could cover our sin, our iniquity, our guilt with his blood. 
His death and resurrection redeemed us. An exchange took place. He exchanged his life for our life so that we could have life and life abundant. That was the high cost of redemption for us. That is the high cost of redemption for us. It sets us free from our sin, just as Gomer was set free from her adulterous lifestyle, redeemed by her husband. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ redeems us. And when you and I finally recognize the need for redemption and we place our faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, that's when we're set free. That's when, again, all that sin and the raisin cakes go away and the pursuit of other gods are gone. No, that's when we are set free to live with him and to have a perfect relationship with our heavenly father. The challenge is, just like the challenge for the nation of Israel who had a covenant, they had a covenant relationship with God. God established a covenant with them. It was to never be broken, that he was gonna always love them and they were gonna love him. And they turned their backs on it. And that's what happens to us. We turn our back on the redemption that we've been offered. And we do that when we gossip, when we're selfish. We want to exercise whatever our form of justice is instead of give grace and mercy. When we lie, cheat, steal, we get drunk, we participate in sexual sin, we rebel against authorities, we break societal laws or social laws when we run after the raisin cake rather than the bread of life. We forget the high cost of redemption. We forget the sacrifice that Jesus made so that you could live and live forever. We forget that he died so that you could have a relationship with your heavenly father, the creator of the universe. And so when you and I come to the place where we recognize that high cost, the steep price of our redemption, it should cause us to do something. And that's, that's the end of this little chapter. Half the chapter is about what happens after you're redeemed. Verses 3, 4, and 5 are about what happens after the redemption occurs. Basically, Hosea says, hey, uh, now that I've gotten you back, you're going to be mine and I'm going to be yours. And oh, by the way, the nation of Israel, God's still going to be their God. They're, they're going to go through a tough patch and not have some leadership. But one day, they're going to return. And they're going to follow after the one true king. And that's going to happen. That's what it means to be a part of the covenant, to have, have been redeemed. Because the redeemed recognize the call to holiness. There's a call to holiness and sometimes I think we forget that, that we've got the box checked of trusting Jesus as our Savior. We are baptized and say, okay, I'm good to go. And we miss out on the beautiful relationship that we have with Jesus. And here Hosea is calling Gomer, his wife, 
This sounds kind of odd, but he's asking her to remain faithful to him. You shouldn't have to ask your wife that. But he says it. You're going to remain faithful to me, and I'm going to remain faithful to you. And that's God's invitation to the nation of Israel, and it's his invitation to us that he will always be faithful, and so he's calling us to be faithful to him. And so as we wrap up today, I I, want to read for you something that was written over 200 years ago. There was a gentleman, a pastor, preacher, evangelist, songwriter, uh, two brothers actually, uh, but one was a little more prominent than the other, John Wesley, the father of the modern Methodist movement. So if you know any Methodist, you were Methodist, John Wesley, you can thank him. But over 200 years ago, he developed these groups called holy clubs. In essence, what they were was small group disciples. Can you imagine having that today? I'm going to go to holy club. <laughs> Things change, right? We, we call it small group discipleship today. Um, and in 200 years, they'll laugh at us. They might be calling it holy clubs again. But he had these holy clubs where they would gather weekly for encouragement, for scripture reading, to become more like Jesus. And every time they met, they would ask 22 questions. 22. Most of our small group discipleships ask three to five. So we got to start raising our game here. But 22 questions. And as I was working through this, I thought, man, maybe I could cut some or like 22 is a lot. Like nobody wants to hear all these because I know how you are, because I'm sometimes the same way. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just telling you that's how we are. Like 22. But every time I would read them, I'm like, man, that's a good one. Ooh, that's a shot to the heart. Like, oh, they need this one. I need this one. You know, so here we go. 22. Put your listening caps on and open your heart to what God might have to say to you. Number one, am I living the life of a hypocrite? I thought I'd start easy. <laughs> not, my li- not my list. Don't shoot the messenger. Not my list. His list. Am I living the life of a hypocrite? Am I honest in all my words? Am I a gossip? Can I be, and oh, by the way, gossip, just because it's true doesn't mean you need to say it. Okay? That's a good gossip test. Can I be trusted? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or habits? Like, he should have been living in the 21st century. Am I self-justifying? Today we call that rationalizing our behavior. But am I self-justifying? Did the Bible live in me today? Do I give the Bible time to speak to me every day? Am I enjoying prayer? Which is very different than just praying. When did I last share my faith with an unbeliever? Do I pray about the money I spend? Do I go to bed and get up on time? 
Do I disobey God in anything? Yes is the answer to that question for all of us. Do I live according to my conscience? This is a critical one. Am I defeated in any part of my life? Am I defeated in any part of my life? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have victory. Am I jealous, impure, or critical? Do I spend my spare time wisely or watching episodes of Last Man Standing? Am I proud? Am I a Pharisee in comparing myself to others? Am I holding on to any resentments? Do I grumble a lot? That, that one made me laugh. Because I guess John thought it was okay to grumble a little. Which is not, but I guess he's giving everybody. Because that's number 21. He's giving us some grace there. Do I grumble a lot? And then finally, number 22. Is Christ real to me. Those are important questions for people who want to become like Christ, who want to be fishers of men, who want to be holy and set apart, who want to celebrate and honor their redemption. And so as we examine the craziness of this whole book, but this chapter particularly, of how a husband takes all that he has to go and buy his wife from a life of prostitution so that he can love her and she will love him, should blow our minds on how much more God loves you and me. That he loves us no matter how bad we are. No matter how rebellious and rotten we are. No matter how shiny we look on the outside and dark we are on the inside. He loves us and pursues us and has redeemed us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so my final questions for us this morning are first to those of you that have received redemption. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And so you've received the redemption for your sin. But my question for you is, do you need to surrender to the call of holiness? And give up some of these things in your life that are displeasing, that are raisin cakes. And say, Lord, it's all yours. I am yours. And you are mine. For all of us, that's true. And then for those of you that are here, whether you're in person or watching online, if you have never received the gift of salvation, redemption for your sin. This 
chapter in the Old Testament long before Jesus was ever born, but points to the fact that God will do anything he can to have a relationship with you and me. That he sent his only son to die on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin. And he's calling you, his spirit is calling you to say yes to him, to receive that forgiveness, that redemption. I want to invite you today to allow him to redeem you by faith, that you would put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so in a minute we stand and sing, I want to invite anyone, everyone to come and pray. Just ask God that we would be a people of holiness, that we would pursue God as much as he pursues us. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I'll be down front. Others will be here. We would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to put your faith in him so that you can be redeemed, that you can have purpose, that you can have joy, you can have peace, you can experience forgiveness. You can understand what it means to live forever and to live abundantly right now. God's calling us to him today. Will you pray with me?